back to FinTalk brought to you by Vermo. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for our global Rostock clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Jared Akta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermec. I'm Jared Akta, your host. So today, we're going to talk about AI, AI and ethics, and I'm delighted to have with me Anna Nicholas. Uh, from Braveways. Welcome, Anna. Thanks very much for having me. And for those that don't know you, um, just a few words about yourself and, and what you do. Sure. So I'm a risk management and regulatory compliance consultant, currently working at a niche consulting firm based in London, uh, Braveways. And recently, I've also completed a master in AI ethics at Cambridge University. Fantastic. Congratulations on that, actually. I saw some of the posts, so that's some dissertation to me to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, let's dive in. We talk about AI ethics. Uh, I know we we spoke about it at the conference, and we kind of didn't get to go into the detail. But what do we mean when we talk about AI ethics, and and how is it ethics, and how does it relate to regulatory reporting and the attention towards AI? Absolutely. So this is a super broad uh, question. AI ethics is a new field and it's a interdisciplinary field drawing from a wide range of disciplines, uh, philosophy, law, uh, ethics, uh, sociology. When we talk about AI ethics in a a business uh, context, such as financial services, I guess there is a lot of kind of uncertainty and question marks as to what it actually means when we talk about it. Uh, My personal uh, take on AI ethics uh, within financial services is that um, this is certainly a a new field related to this uh, revolutionary technology. However, some of the kind of key principles that we have in AI ethics as fairness, transparency, privacy, and explainability uh, of decisions and accountability behind those decisions are very much uh, principles that already exist uh, within regulatory um, requirements across uh, UK financial services, Europe and beyond. So I think that uh, the very interesting uh, question is to kind of try and translate some of the research questions and uh, principles and standards that are coming out from the AI ethics field uh, into the principles and regulations that already exist in the financial services sector. Yeah, we have you know, those, you mentioned it about existing regulatory notions as conduct, and it all kind of ties back to the CEO letters that we get from the regulator and about you know, good conduct, this and have that in place and the controls. This isn't new, is it? This is Yes, absolutely. I would say that largely the uh, some of the frameworks and principles already exist within existing regulatory expectations. So, as you mentioned, the topic of uh, conduct in the UK context is existing in regulatory frameworks like obviously SMCR, the more recent consumer duty, and also the broader conduct risk agenda. And really, these uh, regulatory principles are all about kind of asking firms to do the right thing for the customer and also to preserve the kind of broader uh, stability and the integrity of the financial services uh, sector. So again, drawing back on 
some of the key discussions that are also taking place in the AI ethics uh, world, it's very much that kind of two levels of uh, kind of looking at the risks that this technology is creating, both on the direct users of specific applications, but also at the macro risks. So what do uh, what does this technology uh, create uh, for like the broader society in the longer term overall? But again, going back to financial services, I think that there are some pragmatic approaches and uh, conversations that stakeholders can have to really kind of start assessing, first of all, what AI risks mean for their business context and also starting looking at principles and frameworks to embed some of the measures to manage those risks. We've always had an element of AI right? our systems. Yes, it's old technology, but it is still an element of AI, but obviously now we're so far advanced. But how can we enable it, enable kind of ethical AI, are we touch upon that kind of the management, risk management approaches and all that, but in in real terms, with everything, everything moving so fast, and you mentioned consumer duty as well, that's a whole new framework for a whole new part of the financial services. How do they then kind of bring that all together and and bring this AI into it and say, yeah, we can now try and hand on heart manage this yeah, yes, absolutely. This is a very good question. I would argue that from a kind of basic and kind of common sense approach also to address any type of change, I think that, uh, first of all, a typical, let's say, chief compliance officer or chief risk officer would ideally conduct a impact assessment of what AI means for their businesses. So, first of all, as a minimum, I would uh, advise any sort of stakeholders looking into kind of mitigating the AI risk in the organization to conduct some sort of diagnostic assessments around. So the first question should be, do we use any AI? If the question is yes, or I don't know, we should dig further. <laughs> if it's definitely not, okay, we can move on and come back to it at a later stage. Although at this uh, rate, I would be very surprised if uh, a f- firm in financial services does not use any uh, AI uh, at all. Yeah, so pe- people do, so probably stop it there, but people do, people are probably at the moment are thinking, oh, I don't use AI because I don't use ChatGPT or I don't use you know advanced tech, but every technology has an element of AI in that. So is that, would you classify that then as AI or? Yes, absolutely. I think there's the uh, that kind of initial diagnostic impact assessment should definitely expand the net uh, of what is meant by AI uh, to the widest level uh, possible. Um, I guess there are helpful regulatory frameworks such as the upcoming EU AI Act that provide a, a risk taxonomy uh, of kind of systems by use cases, whereby, uh, for example, high risk systems uh, need to comply with a set of very detailed new standards and requirements and low risk system become sort of elective and really based on a kind of risk-based approach as opposed to having to comply with mandatory requirements. So going back to our example of a firm running an initial diagnostic assessment, I think that the first output of that would be uh, as a minimum an inventory of all of the tools, both internally developed and also provided by external vendors that have an AI component. That's really the starting point. And then after that, depending on the geography and the jurisdictions where uh, this business operates, uh, there would be a more detailed regulatory assessment to understand whether 
systems are subject to different definitions. And then, of course, that would drive sort of implementation steps to manage the risks and implement things like new policies, procedures, technical standards, audits, etc. So we talk about the key risks provided in that. How do we understand firms' exposures to the operational or regulatory side of it? I kind of want to come back to the reg side of it. But just before touch upon that, you mentioned about the EU Act. Would you expect UK firms to be kind of aligning themselves to that? Or would that be more of a, are you expecting a UK, now that we're in, out of Brexit, yes. is um, part of that to come through as well? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a very good question. Uh, I guess there are some people who talk about the potential GDPR effect. So obviously EU-born regulation that uh, hasn't really been changed in the UK context after the UK left uh, Europe. And also generally the effect that GDPR had uh, more broadly where obviously any firm um, selling services uh, and sort of products into Europe and products being provided to European citizens has to comply with uh, this regulation. So I guess also if we expand our regulatory kind of horizon scanning even more broadly, and if we look at the global level, we can see regulatory efforts around AI coming out from places like China, US uh, this week also with uh, Biden's executive order. So I think that it will be very interesting to see whether Europe will sort of prevail with its kind of ethical uh, standards and view on AI versus the other players or whether there will be more kind of regional approaches. When it comes to the UK, I guess there is a lot of politics uh, behind that. But I expect that given that UK is so close geographically, culturally, and it's so tied to Europe that there will very much be a congruence uh, of standards. Yeah, okay, it's, yeah, it's a fair point. So going back to the firm's point of view now, and is how do they understand their exposure to our risk, operationally and regulatory? Because obviously I want to bring this back to, uh, let's bring this back to RegTech. Regulatory impact estimate, because obviously we're seeing it in you know, vendor spaces as well, use of AI from a client perspective or a firm perspective. How would they then go about those kind of exercises? Sure. So uh, I guess uh, the regulatory impact assessment to understand the firm's exposure to AI regulatory risk would not in principle differ from any other regulatory assessment. So it's really a case of understanding, first of all, where uh, the business operates, which jurisdictions are impacted, if there are many, uh, perhaps any uh, kind of cross-border business activities that might also be exposed to certain geographies. And uh, after that, on the basis of the jurisdictions in scope, there will be a review of regulations that uh, are coming out uh, in those uh, areas. Um, I guess the additional challenge on AI regulation specifically is that it's evolving so rapidly. And even when it comes to the EU AI Act, for example, I wrote my dissertation on the EU AI Act and specifically on the topic of uh, explainability. When I started uh, writing about it in January this year, there was one version of the Act. When I submitted it (laughs) in June, there have been amendments. And as I was writing my dissertation, I was constantly (laughs) updating sections with sort of new views, opinions and and tweaks. So uh, absolutely for especially firms that operate at a global level, 
the amount of information that is coming out and the pace of uh, developments is so high that I would I would argue there should be kind of dedicated working groups and sort of projects only to monitor you know the regulatory risk exposure to AI. Yeah. So just two points on that. Yes, that works on a global big tier one bank where they have the resources and the capability to to have the army of people there to kind of monitor that. But with so much regulation, I mean, we take this year, for example, we've had Basel, we've had Conduct Risk, uh, AI Act. We know how tier one firms, like you said, you know, you have, you employ people and you kind of monitor and horizon scan, not just on the regulation side, but broaden that to include AI and everything else. But for like mid-tier banks, it becomes another regulation, another change. How do you expect them to cope? But also with them coping is the applicability of it all. Does this apply to me? Where should it sit in my, I've got to report this to my board, let them know. Should this be at the top of my list? Should it be at the bottom of my list? It's just another, it's another thing that I need to worry about. Yes, uh, absolutely. So I think like, uh, again, going back also to my experience of delivering a regulatory change and a big regulatory change programs, such as, for example, MIFID II and GDPR, SMCR in the UK context, I guess there is a common uh, theme across these programs. And especially when it comes to a, a efficient use of resources across the board is to make sure that these projects do not start as sal- silos, that they're not sort of running off external consultants or maybe also internal resources that are running them, but without a kind of cross-working groups and sort of channels to facilitate dialogue across themes, because otherwise there is a risk that the kind of changes and, you know, policies, procedures, training uh, and new processes that are applied with the new regulation run in parallel or in a way that maybe either duplicates some of the existing initiatives or actually maybe contradicts uh, some of them. So I think that especially in this, I guess, tough environment and obviously a lot of pressure on cost-cutting measure, it's very important to look at these initiatives from a really kind of enterprise level and potentially look at uh, efficiencies and avoid the risk of duplications by ensuring that like everyone uh, who is relevant to, to the conversation actually has a seat at the table. So from uh, just bringing this back and in your experience as well, where would this slot, if I'm, you know, yes, get this if whose problem is it? Where, yeah, whose problem is it <laughs> yeah. is, is key because it's just passed, the buck gets passed, right? Until someone says, right, you've got to do this, then the action happens. So firstly, whose responsibility is it? Yes. So uh, I think that uh, at the moment, uh, there isn't specific regulatory guidance on that. I've seen some statements, for example, from the UK regulators about uh, potentially the need to review regimes like SMCR to also create uh, kind of dedicated SMF uh, roles potentially for uh, supervising uh, AI. Again, going back to the, for example, GDPR precedent, I think it's a very good analogy because uh, obviously GDPR created the role of the DPO as part of the sort of govern- corporate governance roles. However, clearly data risk and privacy risk is not the sole responsibility of the DPO and 
like the data privacy teams. It's really everyone's responsibility to uh, sort of adhere to central standards, be aware of internal escalation and the reporting mechanisms, etc. So I think that for when it comes to managing AI risks, it's important that there is a kind of single point of escalation and also senior management oversight around this area. However, it's also important that kind of functional responsibilities are also clearly articulated across multiple levels of the organization and actually some of the work that I've been uh, looking at independently is kind of looking at ways of understanding AI risk management processes around the free lines of defense model which is obviously an industry standard model for managing risks so which new uh, roles and responsibilities become applicable to the front office context, which roles and kind of new accountability frameworks are required across the second line defense. I think that the key uh, takeaway from this reflection for me is that firms will require a lot of training because it's a new technology. And at least again, in my experience, a second line, <clears throat> you can have very knowledgeable risk experts, you can have very knowledgeable compliance officers, but it doesn't mean that they understand AI. <laughs> uh, so I think that it will be very interesting to see how firms sort of catch up with uh, new training uh, requirements as this uh, technology penetrates uh, businesses. Um, you mentioned, you talked about SMCR, and we're seeing a lot of change in SMCR. We, we just, we had that paper about model risk, and there was a lot of talk about accountability there and the need for you know people to be accountable and made accountable. And we saw that in the DCEO letters as well, people being accountable. So this kind of all points to the fact that's going to change. You know, they're going to have to capture now. They've probably changed it again. They're going to have to change it again, right, to, add, to incorporate the fact that they need to talk about AI now as well, not just model risk management, not just reg. Now we need to capture this. It sounds like this SMCR is going to have needs to have an overhaul or I say overhaul an, an amendment to it to kind of cater now for all these new changes that we're seeing yes and i would argue also not just when it comes to potentially new roles sort of dedicated smf roles to uh, oversee uh, ai risks but also new prescribed responsibilities that can be shared across uh, existing smf roles so again going back to the point that it's not the responsibility of a single function of a, or like a single person being accountable for it all i would expect that job descriptions and uh, statements of responsibilities etc will be as a minimum updated across uh, roles like the chief compliance officer, the chief risk officer, CTO, etc. If I may add actually on um, the issue of um, accountability on AI, I guess it's also driven by a strictly speaking kind of technical challenge around AI, which is explainability. So uh, if we do not know how models produce certain outputs, how do we know when they go wrong and who's responsible for it? Is it the data scientist that created the model? Is it the CEO of the tech company? Uh, is it the firm who is buying those services? Who is accountable for it? So I think that this issue will also drive very interesting conversations and potentially new governance arrangements and new SLAs required across all of these different stakeholders involved to make sure that this risk is properly overseen. It's a good point. I think you know, I recently read the model risk paper that came out and there was not actually no mention of AI in there. There was mention about accountability and 
clearly defining roles and responsibilities and you know the the understanding of the models as well and not just from a you know the models that you've created internally but from a vendor perspective as well you know understanding their models uh, you're right i think that's gonna definitely that whole regime is just gonna have a Yes. I would say an overhaul. Yes, um, absolutely. And for example, things like the EU AI Act define those new standards and uh, kind of principles across providers and users of AI technology. And those standards will be applied to kind of different degrees of uh, complexity and, and depth. But in terms of kind of the actual implementation challenges, it will be very interesting to see how internally firms will be able to demonstrate that they have well uh, as a minimum have conducted appropriate due diligence on the vendors that they use so that from my perspective means that as a minimum of firms do need to have some level of internal expertise to be able to make those judgment calls and again if i look at for example my current clients also sort of previous places i worked the technical expertise across the teams were definitely did not have that level of depth to be able to sort of qa <laughs> high models provided by external vendors so it will be very interesting to see how the industry sort of catches up with those standards Lastly, wrap up. Uh, any advice to firms that you'd give? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that pragmatically, uh, as we were discussing earlier, uh, the key thing to do is to understand uh, the regulatory exposure, given there is so much change in this space. And as regulations firm up and evolve, also, I would argue, kind of going back to your point around things like model risk, really looking at existing risk management practices and models like the free lines of defense, which can be used to address some of the AI risks and mitigate some of its impacts. Fantastic. And thank you so much for that. It's been really interesting. And congratulations again on the dissertation. That's some effort that was. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you.